everyone, and welcome to episode 42 of We Effed Up. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And we're here once again on our bi-weekly journey to talk to you about all of the times in history where we effed up. What are we talking about this time, Cody? One of my favorite subjects to talk about on this show, what I guess? Christopher Lambert. My second favorite subject to talk about <laughs> on the show. Sports. Roman emperors. I feel like sports is number two. Roman on, the, on this show, no, because I only talked about sports a couple times, but we've done like, God, we've just like our thousandth Roman emperor feels like. One thousand Roman emperors. Yeah. It's not really though. I feel like we actually haven't done that many. We've done like uh, four or five. Yeah, thereabouts. But the, you know, I mean, it's a more commonality than most of the people we talk about. So. Oh, that's fair. Okay. So, but uh, yeah, this one's a little bit of a sequel to a previous episode. Part two. Yes, we have to part two. Part two. Part two. Um. So, in January three seventy nine. My favorite year in history, 379. What else happened in 379 that makes it your favorite? Uh, There were 365 days, so lots of things happened. Such as? Whatever we're about to talk about. (laughs) Technically, the F-up doesn't take place then. It takes place uh, 31 years later. That's okay. Whatever you're about to talk about is my Mm -hmm. favorite part of the year. January 379, Theodosius I succeeded Valens as the Eastern Roman Emperor. See? See, we talked about this. Is this my favorite part of 379? After the death of Valens at the Battle of Adrianople, see episode 20. Yeah. So if you want a little more context about like, uh, what was going on before, then go go listen to episode 20, because uh, it might be relevant to what we're about to talk about. So No. Uh, so uh, peace with the Visigoths, who had defeated the Romans at Adrianople, uh, was achieved in 382 with the tribe becoming a federati under the empire. And we talked about it a little bit then. Federati was like a, when one of these so-called barbarian tribes would come into the empire. Basically, they were permitted to kind of remain together, ret- retain a little bit of autonomy, but they would, you know, in turn provide troops for the empire in their never-ending wars. Yeah. So. Yeah, I remember. Um, after the death of Emperor Gratian in 383, Theodosius became the senior of the two emperors, or the two emperorships. And then in the west, Gratian was succeeded by Valentinian II and a usurper, Magnus Maximus. Man, I love an usurper. I love a good usurper. Yeah. Uh, well, he re- he revolts. Uh, or really, it, it's kind of like permitted to just kind of keep control of his part of the empire. Because they're like, look, we don't have the energy. Exactly. We don't have the manpower or the strength to do to do with you. But please he, don't burn it down. He Here attacks in 387, but Theodosius quickly defeats him in battle the following year, executing him shortly thereafter. Dang. While Valentinian was nominally in charge in the West, Theodosius exerted control through his general Arbogast. In May 392, just a few years later, Valentinian, or the Western Emperor, he commits suicide. Oh, no. But evidence suggests that Arbogast was behind the deed, as he quickly had a court official, Eugenius, proclaimed emperor without consulting Theodosius. Okay. Now, this time in the Empire, like uh, Arbogast, and we're going to come up with a few names later on, that are not really, a, they're not Romans themselves, but they are kind of from these um, Germanic tribes that are now moving into the empire. Um, they're di- like different uh, background, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. They're not permitted to be the emperor because they're not fully Roman. Okay. But they still exert control. So they'll have like a puppet emperor. Okay. So they'll be the one in charge. They just can't be the emperor. So they need a, a front man, basically. So you, did you say you had to be a Roman citizen or you had to be born you'd be a roman citizen 
Oh, okay. It's kind of murky. Okay. We don't really fully understand it because, like, you know, one of the guys had was a had a Germanic father and a Roman mother, mm-hmm. but he wasn't able to be emperor himself. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of murky. But point being, you got to be a whole ass Roman. Yes. Okay. So they could not. They have or at least or at least at least through their father. I see. So okay. Uh, Theodosius began marshalling his forces and marched on the west in 394, meeting Arbogast and Eugenius at the Battle of, of the Frigidus on September 6th. Uh, Theodosius emerged victorious, and Arbogast and Eugenius were soon dead. Oh, no. For the first time in 30 years, a single man ruled the entire Roman Empire. Oh, this is that about is, to be good, right? That is that man, Theodosius. Man, he looks so unique. Yeah. I could certainly pick him out of all of the other marble heads. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic for our listeners because they all look the same. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, like, I don't know, a bunch of marble statues are not different enough for me to be able to tell the difference between all of them. Like, and, maybe, like, you might be able to tell, like, Caesar or Augustus, maybe. I mean, maybe, but God bless the people who are actually able to ascribe, like, who it is to those. Yeah. Because... There are really, really good renderings, and then there are some that are not so good, and I'm like, that does not look anything like what these other things look like. And they're like, no, that's Caesar. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to take your word for it. There's probably a dozen or so I could probably tell who they are without, you know, a little plaque underneath them saying, this is so-and-so. The famous ones, I can. Yeah, like Augustus or Trajan or Uh Hadrian, uh, Constantine. Yeah. He's pretty unique looking, but I mean, some of the other ones, like, you know, Pupianus. I was talking about uh, like specific famous statues. I could probably, oh. you know, say like, okay, I know this one, Caesar. Obviously, I've seen this one a thousand times. I know who it is. But otherwise, I'd be like, yep, they yeah. all look pretty much alike. Uh, throughout his reign up to this point, because remember he'd been in charge of the East for about fifteen years at this point, he just took the West. Um, he had worked towards the elimination of the pagan religions in favor of Christianity. Oh um, no. He had refused to restore the altar of victory to the Senate House, and that had been kind of an ancient symbol of Roman power depicting the goddess Victory. Okay. Uh, and he extinguished the eternal flame of Vesta. No, the yeah. Vestal Virgins. Yes, they're so upset. They're, How... gone, they're disbanded at this point. No! No more Vestal Virgins. What will happen to the hearth flames? It was put out. No, no, I mean... Like what they say that the vestal the vestal fire was used for is for people to come and relight yeah. their hearths. Oh yeah, yeah. What now? What will, what will they do? They'll they get their have fire from God. Okay. Yep. That's that. That sounds like getting struck by lightning, and I don't know if that works, but okay. Uh, God will provide. Uh, Ugh. he had also been in, he had also encouraged the destruction of pagan temples throughout the empire, and okay. may have been responsible for ending the ancient version of the Olympic Games. Oh no. Oh, this guy is what a poo-poo head. Yeah, he's a he's a curmudgeon. He is straight up like not having fun. He's like Vestal Virgins out. We're gonna destroy all the pagan temples and guess what? No more Olympics. And people are like, Man, this sucks. Well, you're gonna be real happy because in January three ninety five he died. Oh. Leaving the Empire to his two sons, Arcadius in the east, and his son and our upper upper for today, Honorius in the West. All right. The Roman Empire would never be united under one person again. Are they just as much of killjoys as their dad was? We'll see. Oh, boy. So there's how it's divided. So Arcadius, he gets this bit. 
This seems like such a... Honorius gets this bit. This is such a difficult amount of land to defend well i mean rule. that's why i mean that's why they divided it up in the first place because because one person ruled all of that i know but i'm just saying like the mediterranean sea is yeah. in the center of that like yeah how are you going to control africa and also control europe i mean you have that's why you have legions legions posted there um arcadius isn't important enough to, like i didn't put a picture of him up here but here's a here's an image of honoris now it's uh, what's called a porphyry mm-hmm. uh, statue, like an image on like a, uh, on a on like a tomb or something. Mm-hmm. It's a little worn down. Just keep that in mind. Okay. That's Honorius. Yeah, yeah. It looks like he has no nose or mouth. He looks like a fish person. He because... looks like Voldemort a little bit. Yeah. Is yeah. that the only picture you could find, or did you just pick that one because it's funny? A little calm, a little calm. <laughs> uh, so a little bit about Honorius. Uh, born on September 9th, 384, in Constantinople. He was the son of Theodosius and Ilia Flacilla, and the younger brother of Arcadius. He was declared co-emperor with his father and brother in January 393 at age 8. Oh, cool. And he succeeded his father in the West in January 395, age 10. Yeah. You know what makes a great emperor being 8 or 10? Yeah. Just know that now. Honorius. 10-year-old little Honorius. And is the Emperor of the West. Oh, my God. I'm, like, trying to remember what I was like when I was 10 and, and what I would have been like as an emperor. And I would have been like, you know what? We're going to make statues of Barney everywhere. And everybody's got to read the Babysitter's Club. What what would you have been like if you were a 10-year-old emperor? I'd be like, to watch <laughs> Star Wars? Maybe that would have made you a better emperor than me because I would have been like Barney and you would have been like... Star Wars? Vader and stuff honorius 10 year old honorius now in charge of the west all right rewind a little bit all right uh so the visigoths Goths. our old friend the visigoths with their large black pants and their chains and their black shirts <laughs> and their, their makeup and their pants. eyeshadow yes they're all just moping along yeah they're doing they're mm. doing the uh the um they're shuffling along, just they're doing all... their goth dances, listening yeah. to the Cure, yeah, and dar- the Darkness and the Damned. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the Smiths, if they're feeling cheery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I know. Uh, after the Peace of three eighty two, the Visigoths settled in the modern day Balkans as a federate, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, this enabled them to remain autonomous within the empire, but required them to fight for the empire when called to do so. Uh, this peace held for about a decade when Theodosius called on Visigothic assistance in the war against Arbogast. Come on, come and help me. And they were come, like, Come nah. help me steal these RVs from Arbogast. <laughs> oh my gosh. The Visigoths, under their leader Alaric, that, that, that is such a local Dayton area joke that no one is going to get. Nope. The Visigoths, under their leader Alaric, committed 20,000 troops to the campaign making about up about 40 to 50% of the emperor's force. So Jeez. quite a substantial portion. Yeah. At the Battle of the Frigidus in September 394, Theodosius emerged victorious, but with heavy losses. Mm-hmm. The Visigoths had lost around half their warriors. Oh, no. Partly due to Theodosius's use of them as what amounted to cannon fodder. Oh, no. Afterwards, Alaric and the Visigoths began to question their commitment to the empire and began preparations for a conflict. Oh, my gosh. So that's of course. where they're at. They're like, he's like, we're not, we're not one to one. We're not equals with all these people out here. And 
they're just using us for cannon fodder, so why mm-hmm. should we remain loyal to them? Exactly. So that's where they're at Okay. in 395. Got it. There's one more character in our little drama here that I have to introduce. So we have a baby on the throne. <laughs> a 10-year-old, yeah. But I mean, when, you have, when you have a 10-year-old on the throne, what do you also have? A, it's not a vizier. So it's an R. It's a, it's a viz- regent. Regent. It's a, basically a vizier, yes. but in Rome. <laughs> the regent, or in this case, the magister militum of Honorius, is a guy named Stilicho. Stilicho. How come all of the dudes who end up like messing stuff up royally end up having like sinister sounding names? His name basically might be might as well be Wormtongue. Well, you'll find that Stilicho is actually useful. Oh, so. okay. okay. So that, that's him right there. All right, Stilicho. Yep. Looking very unique. Yeah. In his relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stilicho. Uh, he'd been born around 359, the son of a Vandal cavalry officer and a Roman provincial woman. Not a vandal as in committing va- acts of vandalism, but... A vandal as in from the vandal people, which vandalism is named after. Yep. And consequently, in a roundabout way, my hometown is named after. Why Why is vandalism called, named after vandals? Is that what they did? They just, like, painted on stuff? Well, mm, Can we you tell talk me about in ten that. We'll talk about less. that at the very end. Okay. Bring, bring it back up at the very end. Vandalism... Post-it uh, note. He joined the Roman army and rose steadily through the ranks. Uh, Theodosius recognized Stilicho's talent, tasking him with high military command and marrying Stilicho to his niece, Serena. Oh. So now he's an in-law of the royal family. All right. They really like him. Yeah. In 393, Stilicho was appointed to the rank of Magister Militum, the most senior military officer after the emperor himself. Dang. Stilicho, along with Alaric, led portions of Theodosius' army at the Battle of the Frigidus. And shortly before his death in January 395, Theodosius appointed Stilicho as the guardian of Honorius, who was too, too young to rule, effectively putting Stilicho in charge of half the empire. Dang, okay. All right. So he, he comes from humble origins, and he's risen all the way to the like this high office. All right, got And he's it. not really an aristocrat or anything, so you know that's going to rub some people the wrong way, of course. Sure, but right. Right. He's gotten there through skill. Okay. So after Theodosius died, Alaric, the leader of the Visigoths, he considered the Treaty of 382 to be void. Because it was negotiated with Theodosius, and in their eyes, well, we didn't no- negotiate with the Empire, we negotiated with Theodosius. Uh-oh. So. They were looking for a way out. They were, yeah. The death of Theodosius also left the Empire weakened, as both Arcadius and Honorius were underage, and their guardians, Rufinus and Stilicho, disputed which was in charge over the other. Oh my god, of course. Yeah, so Rufinus is a similar situation as Stilicho in the East. All right. And they're just like, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. Waving hairbrushes at one another. I have the bigger sword. No, I have the bigger sword. Yep, it always comes down to mm. the size of the sword. Mm-hmm. Rufinus allied himself with Alaric, persuading the Visigothic leader to turn and raid westward. Like, don't oh. attack the East, attack the West. Oh, no. Uh, however, through some other you know, unrelated uh, stuff happening, Rufinus was soon dead, and Alaric was free to act on his own. Oh, boy. He's like, I'm going to do whatever I want. Yep. I've uh, been he, under y'all's thumb for too long. Now I'm going to sow my wild oats. He would raid through Greece and the Balkans for the next several years until he t- came to terms with Arcadius in 398 and was granted command over the province of Illyricum. Which, right. if I show you that map again, it's kind of like in... This area. So it's kind of like right in between. Yeah, it's like super central. But but like point being, he's now in charge of a 
chunk of Roman territory. Okay. So, uh, Stilicho continued to cement his power over the West, putting down a rebellion in Africa in 399 and marrying his daughter Maria to Honorius. So oh. now he's the emperor's father-in-law. So he's like way dug in. Yeah. All right. In 400, a new Magister Militum, Aurelianus, rose to power in the East and forced Alaric out of his position. So now oh. Alaric is no longer in charge of that bit of territory. Okay. So now he's free roaming, I guess, free roaming Goths. Oh, boy. Just wandering everywhere. The most dangerous of them. Yep. They need to be contained. Yes. They need to be... Find, quickly, find them a hot topic to go into. Find them a concert that they can go to. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the following year, with Stilicho fighting off vandals in the north, Alaric decided to invade Italy itself. Oh, boy. Now, there's something I do have to mention here. Now, Rome itself, it's politically and militarily, it's decreased in importance. It has not been the capital at this point for over 100 years. Okay. Because remember, we're divided between east and west at this point. The eastern capital is firmly in Constantinople. Mm-hmm. The west, um, its capital shifts up to Mediolanum, which is modern-day Milan, mm-hmm. because it's more close to the front lines. It's right. more easier to manage you know, Gaul, the uh, Rhine and Danube frontiers from Milan than it is Rome. Yeah, Rome is way down in there. Yes. They don't ne- really need to defend it. It's surrounded. Uh, yes. Now, but Rome, it's still, you know, still the eternal city. Of course. It's the home of the Pope. Yeah, it's it's So it's very it's important culturally religiously. It's just not politically as important anymore. Sure. So, so Alaric, he moves over to the western capital of Mediolanum and besieges it. Uh, Stilicho was able to move south to relieve the siege, but Alaric escaped to the borderlands along the Danube. Oh no, not those Danube borderlands. Yeah, always giving the Romans trouble. <laughs> Honorius, by this point, an adult, but still under the sway of Stilicho, moved the capital to the more defensible Ravenna. Okay. It's kind of on the opposite side at the top of Italy. All right. But it's much more defensible. Uh, from Procopius, who was a 6th century historian who wrote a lot of histories of this time, said, quote, the city of Ravenna I, is so situated as not to be easily approached either by ships or by a land army. A land army cannot approach at all, for the for the Po River and ever na- other navigable rivers, together with some marshes, encircle it on all sides and so cause the city to be surrounded by water, end quote. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like, it's just hard to uh, attack because there's like marshes all around it. And <laughs> Sounds kind of like it sucks. <laughs> it, like it's probably. in a, a bad area just in general. Yeah, well. So it's like in in a in an area where it's very low sea level. So I can easily imagine there are it, it would be difficult because there's land in between it and the ocean. Yeah. But there's not enough dry land to be able to get to it. Yeah. So on like you know half the sides because it's right on the coast. Yeah, so very hard to besiege. Yes. Uh, the next several years saw Alaric and Stilicho fight, then ally with each other, then fight again. This cycle repeated several times. I decided I was not going to go into each of every single one. It's like, there's no point. <laughs> That's fair. I think our listeners will appreciate yes. that. By spring 408, Stilicho came to an arrangement with Alaric, who was to be paid two tons of gold to march into Gaul and defeat another usurper, Constantine III. Easy peasy. Two yep. tons of gold. I got that laying around. So, However, before <laughs> Alaric could be paid, on May 4th, 408, completely unrelated, Arcadius died in the east, leaving his seven-year-old son, Theodosius II, as Eastern Emperor. My favorite, a seven-year-old. Yep. 
Honorius wanted to travel to Constantinople himself to secure his young nephew's position, you know, maybe put some of his guys in there. That way he's really in charge. Right. Get, you know, l- lend him a, a, a yeah. friendly uh, yeah. l- advice. Let's, let's just listen to your uncle Honorius. Yeah. Uh, but Stilicho insisted on traveling there himself. Mm, okay. Probably more because Honorius was such a, a dunderhead. Like he's like a peon. Yeah, Stilicho's like, you know, just 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 stay here. I will go take care of this myself. You're, you're just gonna screw it up. You're kind of stupid. Yeah. While he was gone, a courtier named Olympius intrigued against Stilicho. Because Olympius was like, he's a full Roman, like traditional Roman guy. He doesn't like the fact that this, you know, half Roman, half barbarian guy is the guy in charge. He's like, this is BS. Okay. So uh, Olympius persuaded Honorius that Stilicho insisted on going to Constantinople himself so he can install his own son, Eucherius, on the Eastern throne, or Eucarius. Oh, boy. This, yeah. sound, this Honorius guy sounds real gullible. Yeah. Because remember... It didn't even take that long. Hasn't Stilicho been with him since, like, literally he was a, a baby? Yes. Pretty much? Yes. And how old is Honorius now? Uh, 408... 24. So, this dude has been with him since he's a baby, and, and he leaves for, like, five minutes, and this guy's like, you know what? I'm pretty sure that he went and did this for some alter- ulterior motives. And he's like, you know what? You're, pr- you're probably right. It probably did, because Honorius is also, by this age, he's probably thinking... Why am I listening to this guy? This guy shouldn't be... Yeah, he's probably... So he's probably easily swayed. He's Joaquin Phoenix in my head right now. He's not listening to his advisors anymore. He's a big boy. Like Commodus? Yeah. He's a big boy. Well, he's nowhere near as brutal as Commodus and doesn't think himself a god, so... (laughs) Well, but he's still kind of like, I have to do my own thing. He's not carrying around a club. (laughs) He's like, I have to do my own thing. Yeah. When Stilicho returned to Ravenna in 408, Honorius had him arrested and executed. Okay. Remember, this is his father-in-law. Wow, this this um, what was the guy that convinced him of this? Olympius. Olympius must have been a hell of a persuader. Yeah. Wow. Cool. With Stilicho's death, the payment to Alaric and the Visigoths was stopped. Of course, yeah. Olympius, who replaced Stilicho as Magister Militum, began a purge of Stilicho's supporters in the army, and many were killed. Dang. Those okay. who weren't fled. Many of them to Alaric. In late 408, Alaric marched south and besieged Rome itself. The city was able to pay him off with 5,000 pounds of gold, 30,000 pounds of silver, Jesus, and 3,000 pounds of pepper. You know what? He likes some spice. Yep. Okay. Amongst other things. Yeah. I didn't want to wow. list everything out, but I had to mention the pepper. It's like, so, that, is a, that is a ton and a half of pepper. He, he made out like a bandit, basically. He... He got so much more than he was bargaining for. Oh yeah, because that dude died, and he's like, "Listen, y'all, there was there was a peace treaty that we made, and you were gonna give me some money, and now you decided not to, so the price just went up." Yep. The Senate and even Pope Innocent the First, fearing another siege, pled with Honorius to come to terms with Alaric. Honorius refused. Honorius After... is like, "No, nah, I got my dude Olympius, and he's gonna tell me what I need to do now." No, not for long. <laughs> After the defeat of a Roman army by Alaric at Pisa. Then you know, mm-hmm. there. Olympius was sacked and replaced with another magister militum open more more open to negotiation. Eventually, Alaric made Honorius a very generous offer. Instead of titles, gold, and vast territories, he and the Visigoths would settle along the border in a northern province, defend that province, not revolt, 
and would only ask for however much food Honorius could spare. That seems weird. But it's very generous. Yeah, that that's what I'm saying. Like, I, well, at this point, Alaric is just like we've I'm been tired wa- of we, we've we've literally been wandering for decades at this point. Yeah, that's fair. Like, because originally they were, like, from Eastern Europe. They were fleeing from the Huns. Right. They only came into the Empire, like, as refugees originally. Okay. And that was, like, you know, like, over 25 years ago at this so point. So they, they want to put down roots. They want to build yes, houses. they're probably have families. just tired. Yeah. Yeah. They're, like, probably also they want to be legit Roman citizens. Yeah, like, or at least, you know, have their own little part of the Empire they can just call their own. Yeah. Give us some food. Let us just do our thing. We'll defend it for you you won't have to worry about it and just leave us alone yep what do you think honoris does i know what he does because he's a big idiot he says no yeah this is where he f's up yeah furious alaric marched on rome for a second time laying siege in late 409 the senate at alaric's instruction named a rival emperor Attalus. okay so now alaric is powerful enough he's appointing emperors (laughs) or at least a usurper Wow. To, you know, and they're probably like, Norius. They're probably like, you know what? Sure. Yeah. Upon hearing of this, the governor of Africa, who is loyal to Norius, cut off the grain supply to Rome. Because Rome is large enough, it needs, like, external grain supplies from, like, Egypt and Africa, so. Sure. Um, Atalus sent a force to Africa to reopen the supply route, but was defeated. At the same time, Norius received 4,000 reinforcements from the east. So he's, he's getting reinforced from... Uh, uh, Theodosius II, or whoever's in charge over there. Alaric decided to give negotiation one more try, deposing Italus and marching to Ravenna in the summer of 410. Honorius promised to meet Alaric at a location just outside Ravenna. While waiting for Honorius, Alaric was ambushed by a group of Romans led by a disgruntled goth named Sarus. Uh-oh. A disgruntled goth. They're all disgruntled. Yeah. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Yeah, it- don't need to make. They only add that adjective. It's already just a given. <laughs> now, whether or not Honorius ordered this attack, we don't know. We don't know, but frankly, it's irrelevant. Seems suspect. It does. After defeating Saris and his men, Alaric, fed up with Honorius, marched on Rome for a third time. Jesus, man. This time, however, there was no placating him. Yeah. After no, a, he's angry. He's after big a mad. Short siege on August twenty fourth, four ten. The Visigoths entered Rome through the Salarian Gate and proceeded to sack the city. Dang. There's some speculation that they may have been let in, that they may have, like, through subterfuge, managed to, you know, work their way in. Again, it's irrelevant. It's They're irrelevant, in the city. but it makes sense. I mean, if Alaric is, is powerful enough at this point that he can just be, like, new emperor, he's probably, yeah. like, you know, able to... He's already to- basically just... City doesn't have any more gold to give him. Right. Or any at least free gold. Yeah. But for the first time in over 800 years, Rome had fallen to a foreign invader. Dang. The great monuments of the city were stripped of their adornments. Several important buildings, such as the Basilica Amelia, the Basilica Julia, and the mausoleums of Augustus and Hadrian were destroyed. Wow. And those mausoleums held a lot of the cremated remains of the emperors. They were scattered to the winds. Wow. Which is why we don't have the remains of really any of the emperors now. Many important Romans were taken captive for future ransom, including Galla Placidia, the sister of Honorius. From a, another historian, Pelagius, quote, This dismal calamity is but just over, and you yourself are a witness to how Rome, that commanded the world, was astonished at the alarm of the Gothic trumpet. 
when that barbarous and victorious nation stormed her walls and made her way through the breach. Where were then the privileges of birth and the distinctions of quality? Were not all ranks and degrees leveled at that time and promiscuously huddled together? Every house was then a scene of misery and equally filled with grief and confusion. The slave and the man of quality were in the same circumstances, and everywhere the terror of death and slaughter was the same, unless we may say the fright made the greatest impression on those who had the greatest interest in living. End quote. So everybody, it was the great leveler. Yes. Rome fell. Yeah. All the important people were laid low. This kind of this next quote uh, kind of gives a sense of Honorius's uh, state of mind, maybe, or his competence. Mm-hmm. Is also from Procopius. Quote, At that time, they say that the Emperor Honorius in Ravenna received the message from one of the eunuchs, evidently a keeper of the poultry, that Rome had perished. And he cried out and said, And yet it has just eaten from my hands. This is the quote. For he had a very large cock, Rome by name. And the eunuch, comprehending his words, said that it was the city of Rome which had perished at the hands of Alaric. And the Emperor, with a sigh of relief, answered quickly, but I thought my foul Rome had perished. So great, they say, was the folly with which this emperor was possessed. Wow, so he was a total idiot. Yes. They came in with a note that said Rome has perished, and And he he was like, not my chicken. Not my chicken, Rome. Yeah. Yeah. And And they were like, no, you big donkey. It's not your chicken. It's the actual city. And he was like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. I thought it was my chicken. There's a painting from... You know, centuries later of the Emperor Honorius and his favorites, his chickens. Wow. Okay, so was he silly? He was incompetent, and that's enough to... No, no, uh, we don't have any... We can only speculate Yeah, and, and like point. I said, that story may be entirely fabricated. Is that what the painting came came from? Well, the the, the story comes from the 6th century, which is 100 years later. I just didn't know if the painting the, was the pa- like, inspired painting like, by the, it. Uh, yeah, the painting is inspired by the okay. story, yeah. Okay, got so, it. It's like you see all these uh, advisors like bowing to him, and he's just feeding his chickens. And here's another image from the Sack of Rome. All, they're all naked, just... Well, I mean, they weren't in real life, but that's just, of course, like, oh, the barbarians are too so barbaric, they're not going to wear clothes. There's just that type of thing. Oh, I just thought they were really excited, and they were like, ah, and stripped off their clothes. They are like, yeah, no. we're winning. No. Okay. Yeah, Rome has fallen. Dang. The sack caused many Romans to flee. Yeah. No shit. The population <laughs> is estimated to have dropped from 800,000 to 500,000 over the next decade. Wow. Alaric died not long after the sack, because uh, they're only there for three days, and oh. then he leaves. Bummer. Uh, in southern Italy, after a short illness, he was succeeded by his brother-in-law, Atolf, who would marry Gallo Placidia and mm-hmm. lead the Visigoths into southwestern Gaul, where they would establish an independent kingdom. While devastating, the sack was not as brutal as it could have been. There was no wanton slaughter, and residents were permitted to seek sanctuary in churches which were spared. Because huh. Al- the Goths are also Christian by this point. Oh, okay. Makes sense. At least Alaric was. So he was like, "Look, we don't have the energy for like a full like burn down sack, so we're just gonna do light sacking." Yeah, the real impact of the sack was psychological and cultural. The last time that Rome had been sacked by a foreign enemy had been in 390 BC. Wow! By Brennus and the Sinone Gauls, exactly 800 years before. Wow! Is there an 800 year curse on Rome? That's here. This is in 410. Is it like 1200 ish? 1210? I don't know if there was one then. Maybe. I don't know. Well, then it would have been an, another one in 2010, and I don't think there was, so. 
I mean, it fell in 1944, so... Or 43, so close enough. The curse has ended. Yeah. Uh, while Rome was no longer politically important or militarily important, it was still of paramount importance culturally and religiously. Rome was still the eternal city and was the home of the Pope, God's messenger on earth. The apparent inability of the empire to defend its heart would embolden foreign enemies and further weaken the empire. Uh, quote from St. Jerome. Quote, If Rome can perish, what can be safe? I was so stupefied and dismayed that day and night, I could think of nothing but the welfare of the community. It seemed as though I was sharing the captivity of the saints, and I could not open my lips until I knew something more definite. And all the while, full of anxiety, I was wavering between hope and despair, and was torturing myself with the misfortunes of other people. But when the bright light of all the world was put out, or rather, when the Roman Empire was decapitated, and, to speak more correctly, the whole world perished in one city, I became dumb and humbled myself, and kept silence from good words. But my grief broke out afresh, my heart glowed within me, and while I meditated, the fire was kindled. End quote. The sack exacerbated tensions between Christians and pagans, as each blamed the other. The pagans claimed that this was the wrath of the gods coming down upon Rome for abandoning them, while Christians claimed that God's wrath was being brought down upon a still blasphemous city, and that only God's mercy had prevented it from being worse. This, yeah, this is a very important discussion to have. Uh, the attack on Christianity motivated St. Augustine to write The City of God, uh, one of the foundational texts of Christian philosophy. Mm-hmm. Honorius himself would continue on as Western Emperor until his death on August 15th, 423, age 38. Wow. He still goes on as Emperor for another 13 years. Jeez. The Western Empire would never really recover from the 410 sack. Over the next several decades, further invasions strained the West's already overburdened resources, culminating in another sack of Rome in 455 by the Vandals, and the collapse of the Western Empire completely in 476. So, Vandals, they they sack Rome, they vandalize it. Oh, okay. Brought it all the way back around. The 455 sack may have been the inspiration in one of the paintings in Thomas Cole's The Course of Empire works, namely Destruction, Mm -hmm. which is logo of our show. Yep. It's the background art. Yep. So. That's cool. It doesn't depict it itself because it's kind of just like abstract, you know, generic empire, but Mm -hmm. it's thought to have been inspired by the 455 sack because it was a lot more. Intense. Traditional sacking. A full sack, if you will. That's a full Full sack instead of a half sack. Yep, or a light sack. Yes. Okay, got it. Uh, sources for this episode. Douglas Bain, Alaric the Goth from 2020. Philip Barlag, Evil Roman Emperors from 2021. Crystal Honorius from 2018. Hugh Elton, The Roman Empire in Late Antiquity in 2018. Judith Heron, Ravenna uh, from 2021. Stephen Kershaw, The Enemies of Rome from 2021. And a translation of Procopius's History of the Wars from 1954 podcast to recommend this week it's called past uh basically it's about people who could have ruled but never did oh so like you know if like past p-a-s-s-e-d yes okay yeah so if you're interested in that kind of thing like you know some of these movers and shakers who came close to the throne but never quite made it that's what this show's about and it's pretty good so that's my recommendation cool a uh, quick note before we uh, get into our next episode, uh, we have decided that after episode 50 and then a couple follow-up cleanup episodes that we are going to go on hiatus and focus on our other projects. Uh, Cody, who has Imperfect Men, 
and myself who have I have Attack the Final Girls and then our other project Hard Ticket to Sedaris which is something totally different yeah yeah so I mean it's this show was always kind of like our test subject so to speak when it comes to podcasting it's also a kind of a difficult show to research at least for mine because it's a different topic every week whereas something like Imperfect Men Kind of the same 50-odd-year time span over and over every episode. So. It's also hard to promote. Uh, most folks who like history podcasts have a tendency to enjoy one type of subject or one time in history or, you know, what have you. So um, after episode 50, which will happen at the end of November, we'll have a couple of follow-up episodes, which will be in December, and then our final episode will be on december 26th of this year assuming our schedule holds yeah assuming so. that assuming Cause, that cause our... we, cause that's another thing we both have lives <laughs> and they can you know be pretty full <laughs> so it's kind of hard to juggle at least for both of us three podcasts at once yeah plus you know there's other stuff we might want to do you know so cody's got like six podcasts already lined up in his head so <laughs> i like two <laughs> And I have another one that's coming out in November, so. Yeah, so it, it's going to enable us to move on to other projects, you know, so. It's been a good ride. We've, yeah, yeah. We've enjoyed learned it. Learned a lot, made a lot of connections. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and, and who's to say, you know, this may not be an end end. Yeah. You know, who, you know, we may get nostalgic in a decade and be like, hey, you know, we're old people now. We have a little more time. We're old people at 43. Um. So Anyways. We, we may, you know, dive back in for a little while, you know. So sure. I don't want to say definitively we done. Yeah. But. Well, in either case, what are we talking about in episode 43, Cody? I have no idea. Whoops. Let me look. Okay. Episode 43. Oh, yes. Episode 43. Uh, That would be the white ship disaster. White ship. Yes. Okay. I don't have... You want to give me give me a little bit more detail? Drunk Royals. Bunch of drunk Royals. It's a ship. It's a disaster. Got it. Maybe you can kind of suss out what happens. Yeah. Yep. Got it. So. Cool. Please be sure to check out our other projects, The Drunken Pawn, where we play board games and drink on YouTube. Uh, Attack of the Final Girls, my sister podcast project with my lovely pod wife, Juliet, where we talk about horror movies. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WeEffedUp, no spaces. Be sure to rate and review us wherever you listen. Until next time, I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And this is We, we Effed Up. Up.